of this chapter, and there's so much in this chapter, by the way, uh, it, it could take weeks and weeks to study appropriately. I hope that you guys do take some time and read and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We're just going to hit a few things through this passage this morning. But in the, in, as we get to this point of the, of the chapter, what we kind of feel or should feel in our souls is that uh, there, there's this world, this kingdom of the flesh that surrounds us. And then there's this life of the spirit within us. And, and what we should feel is sort of caught between those two places. Because even though we are believers and the, the, the life of the spirit is within us and we are no longer of the flesh, yet this is where we live, right? We live right here in this broken world system. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, this world that we live in, this broken world system. Remember we talked about last week, there's these, like this picture of these two kingdoms, the kingdom of flesh, and the, which is everything that is in opposition to the rule and reign of Christ. And then there's the kingdom of Christ, which is the under the rule and reign of Christ. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes to me, it seems like this place is more real. Uh, the, the broken world system that we live in is just more real. In fact, all you have to do is just like look at tw- the year 2020, look at its resume to kind of get a feel for, for what it's like. Uh, I don't know about you, but it keeps, it's like headlines just keep like knocking. Like I knew, like I thought we had, I shared with you a little while back, I thought we had crossed the line when I, I read this true headline of a story in India where these monkeys in Delhi literally came down, assaulted a man who was carrying possibly COVID, possible uh, uh, blood samples, stole them from him and then ran away. And I thought 2020 is just right. Like that's just like epitome of 2020. And then like I read this week, somebody, uh, my sister sent me a headline. Like there was a, a Saharan sandstorm is coming to our shore. A Saharan sandstorm was hitting our shore. I don't know if you guys saw it yesterday. It was freaky. And it was like 2020. We live in this broken world system and it keeps hitting us. And, and here's the thing. We as Christians, though, we don't live only in this broken world system. We live at the intersection of it. You see, uh, our, we live in the place where the trajectory of this world, which is this way, and the trajectory of, of God's kingdom, which is this way, where they meet we meet right, we live right there at the intersection of where those two trajectories meet. Your life, your life as a believer, if you're a Christian, is where those two kingdoms meet or those two trajectories meet. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ. And that's what this passage is about. It's about where the hard parts of life meet the hope of new life that is coming or breaking into the world through Jesus. And what Paul does is he, he shows that through talking about three groups of people or three groanings that we read about in this chapter. He talks about the groaning of creation. He talks about the groaning of Christians. And he talks about the groaning of the spirit, uh, the groaning of creation, the groaning of Christians and the groaning of the, of the spirit. Let's look back in the passage. If you have it, verse 18 of Romans chapter eight. I'll read through verse 22. For I consider that the sufferings, so about sufferings, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Four, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Four, the creation was subjected to futility, uh, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That word groaning here in this passage where it talks about creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. It's groaning together in the pains of childbirth for the revealing of the sons of God. It, it, what it here means is it means a, a, a deep sigh or a lament or a call for help. It, it's, a, it's a groan. And the reason it says that creation arounds us, and when it talks about creation, it's really talking about everything that is not human. So this world, the ecosystem, the, 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 the rocks and the trees, the rivers, everything that is a part of this world, any inanimate object or even uh, animals themselves, the, all of creation outside of humans together, Paul says, has this sense of groaning. There's this picture that the Eden, the garden is lost and creation itself is, is creaking underneath the weight of what it was not supposed to hold. Ever... Uh, uh, walked through a house that had a, a creaking floor. It, it's lived a, a long life, or maybe there's something wrong underneath uh, the, the surface, or something wrong underneath the foundation of the house is causing decay, and, and, and what was supposed to be no problem for that floor to hold up is now creaking and buckling under the weight of normal life, and that's what's happening to creation itself. It is creaking, it is groaning. It, he uses like very human terms here that it, creation itself is groaning, it's lamenting, it's crying out for help under the weight of sin. The, the picture that it has here, first of all, he says that the state of creation is one of futility. Did you hear that in the passage? That for creation was subjected in verse 20 to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The, the picture there of futility is, the, is a picture of emptiness, or it's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes when, uh, when the, the preacher says vanity. All is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's emptiness. All is emptiness. It's coming to nothing. Is the idea is that creation has been subjected to a state of futility, of emptiness, of vanity, of, of folly, of uselessness, of what it was meant to be. It is no longer able to be that. Creation itself, because human beings replaced by God who created all of creation, created it good. We see that in Genesis 1, right? He created all creation and he created it good. Then he places mankind over creation in a unique position. Uh, we are called to be as human beings this sort of like a, a, an angled mirror, if you will, where we are a part of creation. We're created from the dust of the earth and yet we possess within us the breath of God and God breathed life into Adam. So he was made of the earth and yet the breath of life, God himself, the spirit of God animated him. And so Adam was made and we were made to be this, this mirror, if you will, that represents God to creation and represents creation back to God. 
We are called to uniquely represent God to creation and creation back to God. That's what it means that all of life is worship. When we say that all of life is worship at Doxa, that's the picture there of what that's supposed to be, that all of life was made to be us taking of creation, our talents and time, taking the, the, the raw materials that are around us. And whether you are, you're an architect or you're a builder or you're a teacher or whatever it is that your realm is in, that you, we should be taking the, the world around us and the gifts that we have and reflecting it back to God and reflecting God to creation back and forth. But that was broken when man sinned and therefore all of creation, which was made by God and we were placed over it through Adam, all of that fell into fear utility and it could no longer be what it's supposed to be. We were not intended to have tornadoes. We were not intended to be in the threat of earthquakes or hurricanes. Creation itself was not intended to be at war within itself. Creation itself was not made to be a breeding ground for pandemics. That is not what creation was meant to be. It has been subject, subjected to futility. And then if you read there, it says in bondage to corruption. The picture there is that creation has been subjected to death. Everything in the world decays. Even the mountains are in a state of decay. The world itself, that creaking, that groaning is the, the groaning of creation that is subjected to death. Have you guys seen like one of those buddy movies or uh, silly cartoons where you have like two guys who hate themselves, uh, hate each other, not hate themselves, hate each other and, and, are, uh, and are handcuffed together and they have to go through crazy antics as they're trying to get apart from each other and they, they, they dislike each other. The picture there is that creation itself is handcuffed to corruption or death and can't get away from it. Creation has been subjected to futility and is in bondage to corruption or death. And then it says that it's, it is in pain. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The picture there is that, the, is that creation suffers together with us as believers. And as we think about that, we think about how creation, it, the picture is interesting that creation, not just people are groaning. Creation itself is groaning. Creation was subjected by God through man under delegated authority. And then here's what happens. It's not just happened way back at the fall when Adam sinned, but continually us as mankind in our fallen state, we set up sinful systems that affect all of creation. If you wonder, like when, when people talk about systemic injustice or systemic racism or systemic problems that we have, and you wonder, what in the world does that mean? That's what the one picture that is being painted here. That mankind, sinful men, in authority over creation, set up sinful systems that perpetuate injustice and brokenness and death to the world around us. And creation itself groans under that weight. Creation itself laments the state that it is in, that it was never meant to be in. This world was made by God as good to be a place of justice and beauty built into creation, administered by people, who, a, a people who are made in the image of God, who would maintain a relationship to God and reflect that justice and that mercy and that love and that righteousness to the creation over which we were governing. 
But yet in that fall, we're still in that place. And yet our brokenness is now reflected into creation around it. Creation is subjected to bondage of death and also built into the systems of creation itself are systems of injustice and sin that we as human beings set up. And the picture here, when it says the creation is groaning and waiting, it says that creation is, is groaning and waiting. In verse 19, it says that it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The, the picture there is somebody who is standing up on tippy toes waiting for something to happen. The picture there is, is early on in the very early days of Doxo when this would feel like a big crowd and Dale and I, we had done all the setup and we were, it was like 9.58 and we were in the, in the old uh, school where we would meet and Dale and I were sitting at a window on our tiptoes looking out and seeing, is anyone coming to church today? Eagerly waiting and anticipating. And that's what creation is doing is eagerly awaiting redemption to come for it is eagerly waiting and anticipating. And you know what that means? It means that our redemption as Christians, our redemption is contains within it the hope of creation itself. And here's my question for you this morning is do you hear the groaning of creation? Do you hear creation groan as families are torn apart? Do you hear creation groan as war rages? If you picture that, that, that creaking floor as what it was not supposed to carry, as what was not supposed to occur on this earth, everything was supposed to be beauty and justice and good and righteous. Creation groans and creaks and laments and cries out under the weight of our families breaking apart under the, as war rages, do you hear creation groan as children die of hunger? Do you hear creation groan? Do you hear creation groan as society devalues the life of the unborn? Do you feel creation groan under that? Do you feel creation groan as a black man cries out, I can't breathe? And the breath of life that God breathed into mankind is choked out by injustice. Do you hear creation groan? Creation groans. And Christians groan, or we should, in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we, what, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Why do we groan? Why do Christians groan? We groan, Paul says, because we who are Christians have the first fruits of the new creation. Here's what that means. 
the, the first fruits were the, the first bit of harvest that a farmer would get before the rest of the harvest is done. It's the, the grapes that you would taste or the wheat that you would get or the, or the uh, I love, uh, I grew up in the country and, uh, and we would uh, grow tomatoes like right across the street and, and you're waiting. I, I love tomatoes in the middle of the summer and the, the first tomato that you get that's ripe. Nothing else is ready yet. That first tomato, that first fruit tells me something more is coming later. Something good is coming when the whole harvest comes in. And we as Christians who possess the life of the spirit within us, remember, you are no longer of the flesh. You are of the spirit. You have, if you're a believer in Christ, it's not because you go to church. I'm going to say it again. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you are a good person. It's not because you believe the Bible. It's not though all those things are important, but it's not because of those things that you're a Christian. You're a Christian because you possess the first fruit of the kingdom to come. That is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. That's the great difference between someone who is a believer in Christ and someone who professes the name of Christ, but is not. That's the difference between a Christian and a person who is not a Christian. Does the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? The first fruit of the new creation. And because we taste that first fruit of the spirit of God within us, we groan because we see and experience the difference between what we taste to the spirit of God and what we taste to this world. That's where, that's why we as Christians live the inner... What I mean when I say that we as Christians live at the intersection between the old world and the new world. We as Christians live at the intersection between this fallen world and the world that is to come. We, we as Christians live at the intersection of this fallen kingdom of flesh and the kingdom of Christ. We groan because we are half and half. We groan because this, we have the spirit of the life the life of the spirit within us. And yet we still have our sinful natures. We groan because we live in this place where it's the now, but not yet. We, we live in this place where we see and taste the spirit of God and the kingdom that is to come. And we experience times where, where it seems really real, right? At times where like, it's like the the curtain gets pulled back a bit and we experience tangibly the presence of God or we're in, com in communion and relationship with other believers. Maybe in my home and I, I taste a bit of, of peace and joy that feels like, man, there's another kingdom that I'm a part of and yet sometimes it's hazier, right? We live at the intersection of the now, but yet not yet. The now of this world, but yet the not yet that is to come. And we taste it, the first fruits of that harvest. So that is how our groaning, the groanings that we have, we groan because we experience both worlds and we look around us and we sense our own sinful natures and my brokenness and how, you know, that, that hymn that says, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Like we groan because of that. We groan because we see the, the people around us who are going a different way. We groan because we see injustice. We groan because we see sin. We groan because we see the brokenness around us. We see the broken families, we groan under that. We groan because we see this difference between the way the world should be and the way that it is. And we, it feels so real, hauntingly real to us because we taste it within us. 
we grow. People around us hope there was something better. And we know there is something better. The world around us wish there was a better existence. We know there is. And yet we live here. That's where the pain of being a believer lies. That's why we groan. But yet it's different also from the groaning of creation around us because we groan as, as, a, as believers with an assurance of hope. We groan because we continually taste something better than coming. This is the picture is uh, for believers, it, it works like a, like a forward memory, if you will. I just made up that phrase. I don't know if it exists anywhere, but I just made up. Uh, for us as believers, uh, we groan because we have a forward memory, a, a good memory. Uh, my wife came and showed me this, this video last night of, uh, of our two kids, and, uh, or a couple of videos. One was like my, my daughter was like it's like five years ago and she's cute in the kitchen and she's saying something silly to me. And then I just remembered, man, man, she was, well, she's so cute now, but she's like a different kind of cute, you know, then, and you miss those days a little bit. And then she showed me another video of my kids. Like they were, they were around the table doing their schoolwork and they were like both crying. And it was a terrible, terrible moment to be in back at that, that time. But you look back, you're like, oh man, like, oh, that's a good memory. And it's sort of like this achiness to good memories, isn't it? Like I remember it. In a way, I carry it with me, but I can never go back. I can never go back and hug my seven-year-old daughter because she's 12 now. I can hug her when she's 12, but it's different. We can't go back. A good memory has an achiness to it. We, we still, in a way, taste it, but that moment is gone and we can't recreate it. We as Christians, we groan because we can taste what hasn't yet fully come. It's like a, a forward memory. We taste it, we kind of experience, but yet it's, we don't live in that moment today. We groan as believers because we are the points where the old and the new meet. Here's what we will be. And here's why we groan. We see from this passage that we will be, whenever the kingdom fully comes, we will be fully adopted. It says that we will be revealed as sons and daughters of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this, uh, this illustration where he says, like, if you were to see, think of the most normal, or maybe think of the lowest Christian that you can think of, the lowest Christian, which is a really silly way to think about things. But just think about like, just if you were to think about like, hey, that person, they, they never had their stuff together. They're kind of a mess. Uh, they're, they're really forgettable. If you were to meet that person in their glorified body on the other side, C.S. Lewis says you would probably be tempted to kneel down and worship them when you see them in their glorified state we will be revealed as the sons and daughters of God. Paul said, we don't yet know what that will be like, but we know that we will be like him. 
we will be fully adopted. That means I'm adopted now, but I will be adopted in fullness and I'll have my new glorified body, a redeemed body. Sin will be no more. I'll be fully adopted, fully brought into him and fully in his presence. It will be amazing. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that will, that moment for you will be an eclipsing event. Uh, your most defining moment, if you're a believer, is ahead of you still. Your most defining moment is not what happened to you in the past. Your most defining moment, if you're a believer, is the moment that is still ahead of you. Yes, there's a moment where you became a believer, but that does, is, will not define you. What will define you is when you are fully revealed as a son and daughter of God and all that God created you, made you to be. And what he's saying here is that the weight of that moment, the glory of that moment, that word is their doxa. So the, the doxa or the glory or the weight of that moment will, is heavier than the present sufferings that you experience and you and I experience. Think about that. He's not saying that the things that you're experiencing now or the things that you have experienced aren't bad. He's, he's not mitigating those or lowering those. He's saying your pain may be incredibly high. What you've experienced in our experience, the groanings that you have and the groanings of creation around us might be incredibly bad, but the weight of what is to come will eclipse that moment. It will eclipse that suffering. What he's saying is the power of that moment that is to come works in both directions. It's saying that we will be changed and then that knowledge comes back to us and defines us in this moment now. That power is already at work within us. It will come fully, but is already at work within us now. So when our hearts, when we experience that, we know that that is gonna come. It's gonna eclipse all the sufferings. It's gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, pretend like that those didn't happen. That's not what the Christian life is. It's not pretending bad things didn't happen to you or that bad things aren't going on around us. It's saying there's a weight that is coming that will eclipse the sufferings that we experience now. And the groanings that we have, longing for that as we see what is around us, here's what I want to say to you. Don't waste those groanings. And here's what I mean by that. Don't settle for worldly answers to problems that are caused by spiritual problems. We should also don't ignore the groanings around us. We must grieve over sin. We must grieve over injustice. We must grieve over hopelessness and like Jesus work for good in those situations as we groan. And what happens there in those moments as Christians is we exhibit a place where the goodness that is to come and the righteousness that is to come meets the groanings of the world around us and they, we, they intersect in our lives and in our soul. And we bring, that's what Jesus is saying when he says that you are a city set on a hill, that your light should be set above for all to see around you, that we exhibit a life that is to come here in the life that is now. Lastly and quickly, look at the groaning of the Spirit. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, for those that love God, all things work together for good for all those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Really quickly, look how practical this is. He says in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We are weak. And the Spirit himself is interceding for for us with groanings. The Spirit is praying for us with groanings. This is, this is how we can have confidence and boldness and hope in the present state that we're in. As we, gro- as we see gre- creation groaning around us and we groan, we can groan with hope because we know the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. In verse 20, 28, he tells us that bad things do happen. It doesn't lessen the bad things, but we know that they can be worked together by God for good. It will eclipse. It doesn't do away with the bad, but our, the glory that is to come will eclipse it as God is working them together for good. Only for those who are the children of God. Only those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The Spirit is groaning for us because Jesus groaned for us. Jesus lamented over humanity while he went about doing good. He groaned in the garden and he cried out on the cross. So do you know how we bring hope into our sufferings and the suffering around us? We bring hope because we bring the story and the message of a suffering Savior into this world. We bring the presence of his spirit into this world who is groaning for our good. And we know, we don't, can't unpack any of this, but just let this hit you. We are, if you are a believer in Christ, you are foreknown by the Father in eternity. You were predestined by the Father in eternity. You were called by him at some point in your history. You were justified by him and you will be. Listen to the tense that he used. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done, even though it's in the future. You as a believer, if you're in Christ, you live in a safe, unbreakable link between God's eternal foreknowledge and your future glorification. And that allows us to live life with hope in the middle of groanings and suffering. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna celebrate the broken body and blood of our, of our Savior who groaned in the garden and cried out on the cross. He bore our sin and is, bringing, and is coming again to bring us hope. And that's when we, we will taste it. It won't be like little plastic cups. We're gonna sit down with a, at a feasting table with him one day when every tear will be wiped from our eyes and all that is wrong is made right in the glory of his presence. Uh, I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up. We're gonna sing together. Uh, there's gonna be two lines, one on each side. You can line up on either side. Uh, you can... Um, Return back through the middle, as you will, after you partake. Uh, Father, we thank you that though creation groans and we groan, 
that we do so with hope, knowing that you will come again. We do so knowing that you will make all that is wrong right. And we wait, but we don't just wait. We work and we live bringing hope into the hopelessness around us for your glory and for our joy. I pray that you would help us to do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.